Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to continue our message series on being equipped and being equipped to do what God has called us to do. The church, the body of Christ, has been called and has been equipped to pursue an identity that God has given us, as we said last week, not just to identify problems in the world, but to be a part of the solution that he's called us to be. The church, the body of Christ, is not meant to exist in this world to to judge everybody else and to look at all the things that are going wrong. We are placed here at this time in history to be able to be not just a part of the solution, but to be the solution that God has created to serve our earth and our community and the world around us. And we have to understand that we have been called to be a solution, and we have to understand what that really means. That we have been called to represent God. And I would say this looks like three things. Number one, to know the king, to know who we serve. Number two, to expand his kingdom And number three, to expect that as we do so, we are going to see those on earth transformed by his power and his glory in operation in his body on the earth. We have to know him. We have to know what it is to expand his kingdom. And we have to expect that God is going to use us as his children, as the ones who he has created in his own image and likeness to bring hope to humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Remember last week we said that the enemy did his best to distract humanity away from their God-given identity and to present to them a subpar reality that seemed pretty appealing. But God said, and it says, let us, so God the Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they they were together before the world ever existed, and they said, let us create man in our image and our likeness. We could do a pretty deep study on this today, but let's just think about what that means for a moment. God, the creator of the universe, said we're going to create something that is not just going to be another expression of of God's creativity, but I'm going to create something that is going to be made in my image and in my likeness. I'm going to create something that is going to represent me through all of the rest of what I have made. He's going to create us in his image and likeness, and that's exactly what he did. And then it goes on to say, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, in reflecting God, we have been given dominion. We've been given the ability to expand his kingdom and to show the world who he really is. We talk about being the solution. How can we be the solution? It's because we know that we were created in the image and the likeness of the God who created everything, for whom there is no obstacle that is too big, no challenge that is too confounding and and confusing, to the God who knows everything, and he's created us to be like him, to look like him, and to represent him. We've been called to represent God well and to expand his kingdom. 
but we don't always know what this means. And, and I really like where Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, it says in the New King James Version, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's not going to be that we're going to look up in the sky and observe like, I kind of think like a Marvel movie where you see like the giant spaceship descending out of the clouds and like, oh, there's the kingdom. I found it. He said, you're going to have to understand that the kingdom of God is within you. It's in your midst. It's something that you bring to humanity. We were created in the image and the likeness of God, not just so that we can, can have a greater understanding of, okay, this is maybe what God looks like. We were created to bring his nature and his kingdom to the world in which we live. And so when we talk about being the solution, we have to understand that what that means is we are bringing a taste of heaven, a glimpse of heaven, and even more so the reality of heaven into the world around us because it's actually within us. We carry the kingdom of God. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, I want you to go into all the world... I want you to go into the world and to create disciples. He's saying, I want you to take the reality of what I've placed inside of you, and I want you to bring it to others, and I want you to reproduce this kingdom identity, this understanding of who you are, this understanding that you were created in the likeness of God, to bring it into the world and to have it expand and to grow and to multiply so that the entire world would be impacted and affected by the truth of who you are in Christ. Go into all the world and create disciples. Therefore, create disciples. What does this word disciple mean? It means helping someone to progressively learn the word of God, to become a matured, growing disciple, which means a learner or a true Christ follower, to develop in the truth of scripture and the lifestyle required to believe in Christ. In, it says in belief, and in practice. To disciple nations means that you are creating and instilling in others the ability to believe and then to put it into practice. Once again, we, the body of Christ, have been created to be the solution. The only way that we are the solution is when we understand what we carry and to bring it to the world around us. We have to understand this in order to actually walk in the fullness of what God has called us to do. The problem is sometimes, though, that our theology doesn't actually line up with this reality. You see, it's one thing to say that we're going to change the world, but sometimes we either don't believe it, or maybe we don't know that it's possible, or believe that we can actually be the one that God uses to have an impact. But if we say that we're equipped to do what God's called us to do, then we have to understand what this means. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12, it's a, a passage that we looked at at the very beginning of, of this study. It says again, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Jesus equipped, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we know that Jesus did what had to be done through his death and his resurrection. But then 13 starts with this word, until. Until meaning that the thing that he did in equipping the saints, it wasn't just to be fulfilled in and of itself, but that there was a purpose for it. There was an end to it, which means that the result of this would be that we would all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, Jesus gave gifts to men. He actually created us to be gifts to mankind, to equip the saints, to expand the kingdom. But this is what it was for, that we would step into a place of maturity and unity. That we would step into a place of unity through seeing Christ accurately as the church, as the body of Christ, and stepping into a place of maturity so that our actions come into alignment with what he's called us to do. Unity and maturity. See, this is the primary pursuit of the church to step into a place of wholeness and maturity. This word maturity means perfect and complete in the Greek. Now, I don't know exactly how to say this, but I, I, I don't think that we're waiting around for every person in the church to become completely mature and perfect in every way. Some people expect that from the church. If we're expecting that, we're going to be waiting a long time. But maturity, in understanding who he is and seeing him more clearly, that's very attainable. And stepping into a place where we understand the perfection of Jesus and who we are in him allows us as the body of Christ to come into a place of thinking rightly and doing what he's called us to do. To be complete and to understand the perfection of Jesus that we've walked into. But all of this, it begins in our thinking. If you remember back a few weeks ago, months ago now, this is where we started. With the things that we believe, with our belief systems. And it led us to this path where we talked about that we are known by God, we are loved by God, we're called by God, and we're equipped by God. We, we talked about the fact that our thinking has to come into alignment with His truth, and, and really our thinking is the most important thing that we're talking about here today. Because we have to really allow our thinking to come into alignment with His truth in order for us to step into that place of maturity. I'm sure this has happened to you at some point. You, you don't see somebody for a while, specifically maybe like a kid or a teenager, and you see them at one point and they look a certain way. And then maybe the summer goes by or a year goes by and they come back and you're like, whoa, like what happened? Like you were this tall last time I saw you and now you're this tall, like you've grown. But how often do we look at that person and just assume because they've grown that they've also matured? You see, maturity doesn't happen just because you've matured physically and you've grown. Maturity happens 
when your thinking has come up to a higher level and now your actions are being dictated by these thoughts out of reality instead of whatever teenagers usually operate out of. There is a maturity in thinking that occurs and it's at that point that we recognize there is, there is a maturity. And, and this is the same for individuals and the same as it is for the body of Christ. When our thinking comes into the right alignment, then, then our actions will follow. And so I want to ask a question here today because this is a really good way to evaluate where we are as a church, as the church, as individuals. I want to ask this question. Do we know what we believe and do we believe what we know? Do we know what we believe and do we believe what it is that we say that we know? I don't know if you ever ask yourself this question or some variation of it, but I think it's a really good idea to do that. I, I shared this with the first service as well. There are times up here where I am preaching and I feel like I say something that wasn't my own understanding. That like the Holy Spirit, he, he spoke something. He showed something to me and, and I had the opportunity to share it. And I'm like, whoa, that was good. It's always fun when that happens. But afterwards, there are times where I I sit back and I'm like, that was really good. Do I believe that? Like that was, God, I believe you spoke that. But is that thing bearing fruit in my life? Or is it just something that I thought sounded pretty cool? Do I know what I believe? And do I believe what I say that I know? We have to come to a place of maturity where what we say we believe and what we actually know to be true become the same thing. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If we know something, say something, we say, this is, this is what I believe, but then when the situation arises that questions that belief, I go a totally different way, guess what? I may know what I believe, but I don't necessarily believe what I know. This is really one of the most critical things that we as the body of Christ need to learn because we're talking about being equipped. We're talking about walking in the gifts of the Spirit. If I don't really know what I believe... If I don't really know what I believe about God, if I don't really believe that that God is actually who he says that he is, then the words that come out of my mouth in prophecy, in preaching, in teaching, in evangelism, in the gifts that he's given me, in my theology around healing and salvation, if I don't really know who he is, then everything that comes out of me is going to be affected by that incorrect belief system. So do I know what I believe to be true about God? Do I know that he is a good father? Do I believe that he's a loving father? Do I believe that he loves me deeply and intimately? Or do I see him as angry Do I see him as frustrated with me? Do I see him as annoyed sitting in heaven looking at me like, when is he finally going to get it right? 
do I know that he is a God who, who doesn't just love, but he provides, that he is a God of healing, that he is a God that brings healing and, and wholeness out of broken situations? Do I believe that's who he actually is? And do I believe that through the blood of Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, which we will take a look at today when we're taking communion, do I believe that it's true or do I just kind of think that it's true? Do I know it as a reality in my life? We all have a worldview. We all have a perception. We all have uh, the way that we look at things around us. And, and that's affected by our circumstances and our past and all of those things. All of those things coming together to make us who we are. But can I tell you today that you cannot afford for your past, for places of brokenness, for places of hurt, for lies of the enemy, to be the things that shape and dictate your understanding of who God is and expect to walk in maturity and wholeness. We have to know who he actually is. We have to come to the understanding of what the word of God says is true. I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now, and I am blown away at how many times there is the judgment of God for all that they've done wrong. And then it seems like all of a sudden he comes back and he says, listen, but this is what I have spoken over you. I'm going to bring you back together. I'm going to take the remnant. I'm going to bring Israel and Judah back together. I'm going to speak life over you once again. You're going to know who I am. The world is going to know who I am because I love you and this is who I am. If we read the Bible with the understanding of who he is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we will start to see glimpses of who he is. He says, I'm going to bless you and through you, the world is going to see who I am. God is the most important, this is going to be the most obvious statement in the world, the most important thing for us to be able to see and to behold clearly. Because the way that we see God affects everything else in our lives. Do we know what we believe about him and do we believe what we know about him? Hebrews chapter 11, we know it's the the chapter of faith. It starts off in verse 1 by saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It goes on to speak about Abel Abel and Enoch. And and then we get to verse six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know this. This is This is a reality. If we are going to walk in relationship with God, it requires faith in what we cannot see. But we often end quoting this verse right here and don't continue because the next word is for, which means that that thought of faith being, without faith being impossible to please God, connects with the next thought, which says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that number one, he exists, And number two, that he rewards those who seek him. If we read through this too quickly, yes, we have to believe that he exists. That's a pretty good start. Would you agree? Just need to make sure everyone's paying attention. Everyone's awake here today. We have to believe that he exists. But equally, 
we have to understand that he is the one who rewards those who diligently seek him. This word reward, though, in the Greek is a very interesting word that I am not even going to attempt to repeat today or try to pronounce. But I will tell you what I learned in studying this word. The word reward, it means very simply to give what is due, to give what is owed. When you work your job and you get to payday, you expect that you're going to receive a paycheck that is going to be in alignment with the amount of hours that you worked, right? And your boss is required to do so. So that is a reward of sorts, even though it's, it's owed to you. So God is the one who rewards those who seek him. So we seek him and he rewards us. But if we continue to read what this word means, when you take the different components of this word in the Greek and you put it together, what it actually says, it's not just that he rewards those because it's what is due to them, but that he rewards because it is in his very nature to do so out of his place of value for how he sees humanity. If you were to work that job and your boss gives you a paycheck... How many of you think that your boss is super excited to pay you what you're owed? I would suggest today that there would be a few employers that would be perfectly happy for you to do the work and to receive no compensation. And sometimes that's how we look at God, that if we do, then he is kind of like bound to do what he said that he would do. Like he's like, all right, well, I guess they did more good things than bad things. So I guess I'm going to have to follow through with what I said. Like, I don't really want to. I'm kind of annoyed with them right now. But, you know, Jesus did go to the cross and die for their sins. So I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow through on my end of the bargain. This word reward means that God loves you so much that as a part of his very nature of who he is, that a part of his value system, he desires to bless you, to give to you, to be able to pour into you because that's who he is. Now, don't miss out on this part as well. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for the one who comes to him must believe that he exists, and number two, that he's the one who rewards those who seek him. That part of operating in faith is understanding who he actually is. We can't operate in faith to say, yes, I'm going to step out in faith because I believe what God has said, if we don't really know who he actually is. We might take a step, but to be able to fully step into that place, we have to expect that he's waiting for us on the other side. And not only that, that he's in us, giving us the ability to step into what he's called us to. But if we don't see him correctly, we're not going to take that step. We have to believe that he exists and that his very nature is to respond to us seeking him by showing up and giving us what he promised. If we don't know this to be true about him, our words and our actions are going to reflect it. There is an unstableness in knowing something or believing something and we want it to be true and actually knowing that it's a reality. And often we get caught in between because our past says one thing and the word of God says another. You see, somebody can say the same words as somebody else, but the way we see them is going to dictate how we receive it. 
I can get a phone call from somebody that says, this is really important, don't hang up. But the second that I think that it's someone trying to sell me another car warranty because my warranty in my car has expired for the fourth or fifth time, I'm going to hang up on them. If my wife calls me, however, and says, this is important, guess what? She has my undivided attention, and I'm going to listen very carefully to everything that comes out of her mouth. Why? Because I know who she is. I know the love that we have for one another, and her words matter. When we know who God really is, when we know his heart for us, it gives a greater depth and credibility to the words that he has spoken to us. Do I know what I believe? Do I believe what I know? Do I believe that his divine nature is to love me? It's to see me as the one that he created in his image and his likeness. And that through the blood of Jesus, any disconnection and brokenness that was present has been eradicated because of his sacrifice on the cross. I recently heard a message that described this concept really well by Chris Valentin. I mentioned him last week uh, talking about that conference I was at. And the way he describes this is by saying that there are values that we all have and, and we hold dearly. And, and these values are very, uh, they're integral in the way that we approach life and the way that we look at situations that, that affect the way we see things. So he said there are two different value systems. There's something called a high value and something called a core value. A high value is something that we believe, something that we want to believe, something that, that we want to be true. It's not that we, we, we don't fully believe it, but it, it's just something that, that we have placed in this position because it, it's something that we have value for. They're not just aspirational, but they're truths that we have been taught and often things that we have placed our hope and our faith in. So it's what I believe. A core value, on the other hand, though, is the way that I see a situation through the lens that I have and what I know to be true. Remember, do I know what I believe and do I believe what I know? So a high value might say to me, and we would all share in this today, that, that God loves us and he desires to provide for us and to heal us. That's a high value. But a core value doesn't always line up with that because the core value that we have might be because of my experiences in the past, because the time that I prayed and nothing seemed to happen, well, maybe that's not actually true. So in the moment where I am waiting for the provision of God because I believe that he is he's the one who provides for me, if my core value is in alignment with that, I will go and seek other alternatives because while I might believe it, I don't really know that it's true and so I have to hedge my bets by doing something else and looking for another source of provision or healing or whatever it might be. Our high value and our core value, if these things are, are not lined up with one another, we will say one thing, but it doesn't mean that we truly believe it. And when we are faced with an opportunity to put that into action, what we really believe is always going to be the thing that wins out. If we're faced with a challenge that comes in opposition to what we believe to be true about God, what we truly believe is going to be the thing that is going to dictate our response to it. 
So our high values and our core values, we have to understand what this is, and, and we have to know the truth that we actually believe. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do we know that it's not the acknowledgement that something is true that allows us to step into the reality of it and be set free? It's not just that we agree with the scripture. It's not just that we look at a principle and say, oh, that's really nice. That's not the thing that brings us into the reality of being set free. It's that you would know the truth that you would actually believe and hold on to and, and base your life upon it, it's that truth that actually has the impact to change something in you. It's, it's when the truth of the Word of God doesn't just sound nice, but it actually changes our lens through which we view the world around us, that it's able to actually have power in our lives. As long as we're wearing these glasses that are tinted, tainted, scratched, and damaged by the past, and we're using that lens to look at the situation, we're always going to go back to the reality that our, our past has presented to us. It's not until the truth becomes one with us, knowing who he is and what he said is true, that our view of the situation will shift, and we will understand that the truth is actually there to set us free. This word truth is not merely truth that is spoken, but the definition says that it is not just an idea, but it becomes a reality to us. It becomes the reality that we walk in. The example that he gives is uh, flying an airplane. And what he says that the, the statistics show that the most, you know, the biggest cause of airplane crashes is something called spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation is where you're flying an airplane and all of a sudden because you're in clouds or you're in darkness and you can't see, you get this feeling that you're actually upside down and facing towards the ground. And so in an effort to correct that feeling, you turn the plane till you feel like it's right side up facing the right direction. The problem is is that more often than not, that correction causes the plane to nosedive and to crash. And so to combat this, what you learn in pilot school, which I'm taking their word for it, I actually did a little research. I've never been in pilot school. But what they do is they teach you to read your gauges to show you what the truth actually is, despite what you might be feeling. And not only do they give you one gauge, but they give you two gauges. So if your altimeter or your instruments that go to show you that you're right side up and you're the right elevation and they've got all these visuals, if one fails, well, there's a second one because where one gauge might be wrong, two gauges most certainly are not wrong. And what they drill into you is that regardless of what you feel and regardless of what you're going through, you have to look to the instruments in front of you to recognize when these two things are in agreement, you have nothing to worry about. In our lives, we need 
our high values, the things that we believe to be true about God, to come into agreement with our core values so that when all hell is breaking loose around us, when there's distractions in the world, when there's all these things that we talked about last week going on around us, that we know that there is a truth that we can rely on, that we can stand on. And it doesn't matter how I feel, I know the truth because it's what he has spoken. But in order to do this, we have to recognize the presence and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For far too long, we have relied on our emotions, our feelings, and our past to dictate what we believe to be true about who God is and what He said. And when we do this, thank you for that clap in the back. Beautiful little girl back there. When we understand who the Holy Spirit is, when we understand His purpose in our life, it's not just to give us the warm and fuzzies in worship. Our purpose in coming to church as the body of Christ is not just so that we can be together and and to experience this together, as important as that is. There is a truth that we are called to stand on, and, and the Holy Spirit, in His genius ability to know every thought and intention, every experience and everything we've ever gone through in our life, is to take us to those places where anything we believe is out of alignment with what He has said, and to bring correction and to bring healing to it. And I wish that I could say to you today that I could just pray over our congregation, and that would just happen. I believe in impartation, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's done greater miracles than that. But can I tell you that in my experience, unless I am willing to ask the question, do I know what I believe? Do I believe what I know? And allow the Holy Spirit to come into those places, to convict me of the places where I have come out of alignment with His truth, unless I do that, I'm going to continue to believe what I used to believe, and then I'm going to try to sanctify that thing. I'm going to try to take that thing that I believe and build a theology around it to try to make sense out of what I feel instead of understanding the truth of what he has said. And if you're sensitive enough, you will recognize that there are many places in your life that God is giving you the opportunity to do exactly that. That in every situation that arises that causes the panic, the fear, the anxiety, the anger, that these are opportunities to go to the Holy Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, what's at the root of this thing? This is what I say that I believe, but I want to know what I believe to the core of who I am. I want to step into a place of maturity in my thinking. That in any area where I have allowed a lesser gospel, a lesser truth or reality to be the loudest voice in my life, that you would come and bring correction to it. There are so many distractions that are coming in this world that are present right now. But it's in this time that the Holy Spirit wants to work and bring 
those places of alignment so that when the distractions come, we know where to turn. We know what to look at and that our eyes are not taken off of him.